is the Enter Sad Men Podcast. Every rock and metal album you should own. Reviewed, rated, and ranked. Well, here we are again. It's the Enter Sad Men Podcast, episode number 68 this week. Hope you're well. Uh, good to have your company. Um, this is the podcast where we rate, rank, review the best rock albums, heavy metal, hard rock, heavy rock, call it what you want. Uh, of all time, put them in a list, and we're the only podcast. In fact, I think the only reviewing site that actually does that, that actually looks at every track individually, gives it a score to give an album a place in a list. So this isn't your average best hundred or best thousand rock albums of all time. This is pseudoscientific. Anyway, uh, Mark here and joined by Steve and Richard as always. If you want to find out more about the podcast, more about us, enter sadmen.co.uk. You can pick us up, uh, the podcast that is, uh, on most of the normal channels. We're also around sporadically when we can be asked on social media. Um, 67 episodes so far. I can't do the maths. It's an awful lot of albums in that list now. Uh, well over, well, coming up to 200. In fact, we're over 200 now, aren't we? Uh, I think, yeah, we are. We're over 200. Um, so, boys, episode 68, Tico Torres spat out, or the Tico Torres Tombola of Topics and Themes spat out white, the colour white. So, uh, that should have been really easy. Was it really easy? No, as always. But it was fun. We all went on a bit of an exploration, didn't we? Certainly I did, in terms of albums that had white covers and obviously white titles of bands. And it, it took a while to settle on something I was I was happy with. But, yeah, yeah, I'm happy. So you strayed away from the bleeding obvious. Uh, Richard, what did you pick? In the end, I plumped for White Lion. But not, I think, what many regard as their finest album, their, their second album, Pride. But I, I went for their debut. Uh, which is Fight to Survive. Finest or most commercial? Let's discuss wow, that. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Steve, what about you? I think uh, almost like a like a child's dummy, you went back to something comforting and warm, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, no, I'd look around as well. I mean, it was it's always the the, the drive to avoid the bleeding obvious, isn't it? So, i.e. Whitesnake. So, um, yeah, I, <laughs> I, did. <laughs> I did look at a couple of others, White Wolf, White Witch, there's plenty of bands out there with white. I didn't know. I thought everyone was black in this genre, but there you go. And, yeah, now I went back to White Sister. I've got no problem Good for with you. that. I've got no problem with that, my friend. No, I was very happy when that popped up. Uh, I surprised myself. Um, I also went on a voyage of discovery, and I picked an album that I didn't think I liked very much, which was uh, sort of the, the reinvention of Anthrax in 1993. So they'd uh, got rid of Joey Belladonna uh, three years after Persistence of Time, and uh, they'd recruited the armoured saint man, John Bush. And, um, yeah. I'm really looking it forward was... to that conversation. I'm really <laughs> looking forward to it. Because <laughs> uh, I don't think... I bought it, when it or I, either that or I, I got hold of it as a review copy when it came out. And I don't think I ever listened to the, more than the first two tracks. So, mm. um, so that shows you how much I liked it at the time. Have things changed? Well, we'll find out a bit later on in the show. Um, but before we do anything else, uh, let's give you a little taster of what we've been listening to. Yeah. 
Okay, so uh, Anthrax is Room for One More, finishing off that little sequence of tracks that uh, we've delighted you with, um, just just to take, whet your appetite for what follows. Um, but we start, well, we review all of these albums in the chronological order of release, which means we're going back to 1984, um, which is well inside Steve's comfort zone. Uh, so White Sister's debut, White Sister, the self-titled album. Steve, take it away. Opening album sleeve notes. Mm, couldn't feel more comfortable. Could not feel more comfortable with this mob, um, White Sister. We have reviewed um, their second album, as you said, Fashion by Passion, way back in um, episode 39. And what well, has to be said, it didn't fare too well. Um, it, it, it didn't get an overall album average of seven. Um, it, decent pomp, but it just lacked a bit of muscle equals guitar. Um, so it was just too synth heavy, far too synth heavy. This album, White Sister, their debut, um, and I'll tell you how this will do. This will do better, and um, it'll do better because it's a better album. Um, and I know it'll do better also because if Dickie Bird tells me that one of you two um, has gone out and bought the damn thing, so impressed were you with it. So I'm, I'm expecting some decent scores, and I'm also expecting you to agree with me. This is the direction they should have gone in. Um, many, many fans of, of White Sister um, reckon this was the style they should have persisted with. It's punchier, it's rockier. You can hear Rick Chaydock's guitar, Hallelujah. Um, so just a, just a few little bits and pieces about it. We, as I said, we've met White Sister before, formed in a, 1980 from Burbank, California. Um, this was released in 84, don't know precisely when, on the EMI label, 42 minutes long, Greg Jufra of Angel fame and, um, well, all-round good pomp egg um, was the producer and also chipped in with a lot of drum programming and uh, he was just there. On, on on hand for everything um, and looking lovely, I dare say, as well. Recorded at a trio of studios all in Hollywood. Personnel, Dennis Churchill Dries. He's on vocals and bass. Gary Brandon, vocals and keyboards. And it's shared vocals on this album, which I'm not a big fan of, but it, it kind of works here because they've both got great voices. As I say, Rick Chadock on guitar and Richard Wright on drums. Ask me about the chart positions. Well, you can, but I haven't got a clue. Sales info, ditto, and it's a 10-tracker, five on each side and 42 minutes long, as I say, so that makes it pretty much perfect. And, yeah, I think it's a perfect – I think it's close to a perfect bit of mid-80s pomp, personally. How do you guys get on with it? Yeah, I went out and bought this, I think, in 80 – if it wasn't 84, it was 85. I love it. I've always loved it. I, I fell in love with it. First track, Up, and then Love Don't Make It Right was kind of the – that sold it. So coming back to – I mean, I haven't played it for years, years and years, not, not in full. So – Coming back to this, sort of, you know, 35-ish years on, the question I asked you, Steve, was, will I love Love Don't Make It Right and Whips as much as I did first time around? Shaw's answer to that is yes, I do. But then I kind of, if you read the literature about this album, you would be forgiven for believing that White Sister were as big as Rat and Motley Crue, you came out of sort of LA during the the mid eighties. Of course, they never were. Yeah, you know, I've barely met anybody who who even knows that they existed beyond you, Steve. So why is that? Why weren't they as big as you know Rat in eighty four, Motley Crue in eighty two, and all the rest of them? And I think I think the answer is that much as I adore this album, and I do, they don't know whether they are Arthur or Martha. They don't know whether <laughs> they're a hard rock band or a sort of a heavy AOR band and you talked about the muscle the guitars being drowned in synthesizers on fashion by passion they are here as well the, the, the difference is that the muscle is beefier it's much much beefier on this 
but it's a tsunami of synthesizer, which mm. is Greg Jiffra's. You know, it's got his mitts all over it. And, and I was trying to imagine, I was listening to it today, actually, trying to imagine what it would be like without the synthesizers on it. And it would have been a fucking brilliant album. Absolutely <laughs> smoking album. Yeah, it's interesting. If they hadn't had Jiffra's involvement, of course, would they have been the same band? Because he was pretty much They wouldn't there, have made um, it. Well, they wouldn't have made well, it. Well, he, he, he got them signed to EMI, exactly. didn't he? So, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's a, a dichotomy. It is. I blame the album cover personally. I think it's a shock. Well, but. but if you ever wanted a, if you ever wanted an indication of a band that didn't really know what they were, do- yeah, stylistically <laughs> yeah. and culturally, what they were doing, that's it. I said to you on WhatsApp, didn't I? I've always had a problem with the white boots on that album cover. I know. Always. Yeah, so that's some sort of Polish porn set in it. It's a shocking <laughs> thing. It really is. Anyway, Richard, how do you get on with it? Yeah, good, good. It is just, it's just that great big slab of nineteen eighties cheesy hard poppy rock, isn't it? Yeah, and I much prefer it to Fashion by Passion. I think the, the songwriting's stronger, well-crafted. Some's a bit formulaic, uh, but it's great fun. Yeah, and, and the balance is, is is way, way better, isn't it? I'm sure we'll talk more as we go through the album, but um, they did seem to be seduced by the soundtrack um, and um, presumably the money that would that, that they would make and that their, their record company was pushing them in that direction. So it's not surprising. It's some of the, the synths are incredibly 80s, aren't they? You could absolutely nail on this is 84. But yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, good choice, really good choice. Who doesn't want to be in a in a synth-led barrage of 1984-esque music anyway? That's 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 <laughs> what's what on earth's wrong with that? Place to be, time to be. As I say, it's ten tracks, five on each side, and White Sisters, White Sister, their eponymously titled debut, kicks off with Don't Say That You're Mine, um, which is a you know just a nice, chunky piece of mid-80s AOR with keys, front, centre, left, right, in the middle, up and down. But already you're sensing, I think, that they are part of the package, rather than dominating it in quite the same way they would in the next album. But there's a wonderfully kind of melodic pre-chorus. There's a great chorus. There's a fantastic guitar solo of some length um, from Chadock's Fingers. This is the first of a series of wonderful kind of car top-down summer songs, which would bring a smile to even the most miserable of curmudgeons' faces. Talking of which, Mark, what do you think? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What kind of sold me on this band almost immediately was that they didn't go for the chorus after the first verse. Uh, And they repeat that trick several times on this album. Uh, And I was... Because, you know, back in the day, it was always verse, chorus, verse, chorus, guitar solo, verse, chorus, chorus out. 
and they don't do that and it's uh, the the riff on this is well the riff on the riffs through the whole album you know formulaic yes yes don't care it's still smoking thank you very much Uh, and this one is as well but the other thing that white sister do probably better than anything else is they get that sort of um those harmonies don't they Mm -hmm. and churchill drees can frankly sing the phone book and it would sound amazing so yeah uh great start yeah, I think this is brilliant. It's got a real lovely gallop to it. The harmonies, vocal interplay. It's got little little breaks, changes in tempo. I was hooked instantly. I think it's a great start. Yeah, it's a great start. It's followed up by Straight From The Heart, um, which kind of already feels a little bit rockier than the opener. I don't know, though. It really isn't. Um, the vocals on this album, as I say, are shared between Churchill, Dries and Brandon, and this is one of um, Gary Brandon's. Um, his voice is a little edgier, certainly. So kind of adding a little bit of rock roughness um, to the five tracks, I think it's five tracks, um, in which he takes the mic. As a tune, it's a bit more straight ahead than the opener. Nonetheless, like it a lot. Riffs fairly unmemorable. Drum lines seriously basic, which they are throughout. But it's fine. It's nowhere near as good as the first track, and it's nowhere near as good as what's to come. But it's it's okay. Yeah, there you are writing a song in the mid-'80s, and you're going to call it straight from the heart. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, how many songs... Um, but yeah, it, I, I like. I, I think there's a lo- really hooky bridge, and the chorus is 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 you've got to sing along with it. I like the driving riffs through the verse. I think you're right. I mean, it is it is you know obviously not heavy heavy, but yeah, it has a has a good old punch to it, doesn't it? Mm. But yeah, mm. not as good as the opener, but not far off. <laughs> I would say. I think it's a. I think it's interesting. I think it's an interesting track. It probably is the low point on this side of the album, certainly. I like those little kind of um, keyboard motifs going through it. This is more kind of, this is more journey, I suppose, than the um, first one. Yeah. Uh, so if you want a reference point, this is kind of heavy AOR. This is journey, sort of a heavy side of journey for me. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, so, okay. So from the from the cheap seats to the to the royal box, because track three is Love That Make It Right. And this song, take, this is the one song that just takes me right back. Again, Brandon on vocals. It's edgier through the verses. It's it's almost rough cut. I, mean, I don't know whether that's a kind of fair comparison. And then there's sort of the pauses and a fantastic sing-along chorus where Brandon just nails it, you know. This is how you blend rock and AOR, how you get synths and guitars talking to each other. Oh, I could talk about this all night. I'd rather listen to it. I think it's a blinding track. I agree. They get this absolutely right. Mm. Funnily enough, this gets pushed uh, by a couple of tracks is my favourite mm-hmm. on, on the album. I think it, this is the one. This is this is the track that I kind of got, well, okay, let's go and find everything else this band had done. And, of course, there was nothing. Yeah, so, it didn't um, take long, was, did it? Yeah. That, was, that was a short journey. Yeah. <laughs> but it's fantastic. fantastic. They don't put a foot wrong here. No. I agreed... Uh, it's a fantastic riff. The guitar and the keyboard's fantastic. It's one of my higher scorers as, as well. I do find they do get the sing-along going a little too long. <laughs> <laughs> it feels towards the end. You know, you've been at a concert and we get to the crowd sing-along bit and they keep going with it. And you just say, look, we've done this now. Can you play the next song, please? Uh, you know, that's cost them half a mark in oh my no. view. Because towards the end of this, going, all right, yeah, I get it. 
I get it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's really interesting. Because yeah. if, if, if I said to you, the world waits for you by Fastway, it goes on a lot longer. Um, and I, <laughs> yeah. I, it's interesting, isn't it? And, and that kind of works for me massively as well. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. Track four is called um, Breaking All the Rules. More rock this time. Churchill singing again. Decent melody throughout. Not a great one. Chorus a little bit annoying. The drums, it's just a, it's, a, it's an accusation I'll throw out that it's just a bit too bish, bosh, bish, bosh kind of throughout. He's there to time keep, I think. Mm, um, yeah. yeah. Track, it's a track that kind of promises to be better than it is. Winds up for me, being the actual the, the week, contrary to what Mark says about straight from the heart, this is my weakest number on side one. It would have been for me uh, until the middle of the week, and then I kind of got it. It kind of made sense to me, and I, I was. It, it is a really odd in terms of the structure. It's a really oddly structured song. You think it's going to go in one direction, and then suddenly it all kind of slows down. But the way that the pickup on that riff is just to die for. And it's that, I think, that elevates it above Straight From The Heart for me. It's got a bit of cowbell as well. You know, so, <laughs> um, I like the injection of pace and energy. The yeah, nice driving riff, sort of keyboard power chords over the top. is incredibly 80s, isn't it? The thing that's lost it in Mark or two is the what the hell is the point of that keyboard solo? Uh, Just to I, remind you there's a keyboard. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. I think so. <laughs> 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 Well, listen... Uh, okay, so if we're slightly mildly lukewarm on that, uh, the, 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 I'm, I'm imagining there's no debating our view on whips. Um, <laughs> Great way to finish the side, isn't it? It's just this big bouncing riff all the way through. You've got sort of, you know, sort of Richie Sambora style whittles and fills here and there. Some of this reminded me of sort of heavier journey. And yeah, and I, and I love the bass line. This is a uh, proper bouncer, isn't it? Well, it's got a wailing guitar, so I'm already happy. Yeah. Um, the one thing that I did, so when I was listening to that, I, I was kind of thinking again about, yeah, it's so good. It's so good. Why is, is this not, why was this not bigger? And then I was thinking, do you know what? The problem with this album, the problem with White Sister, because Fashion by Passion was an even bigger example of this, is that if you look at the top of our list, all of those are timeless albums. You can play them at any point and they are as relevant now as they were when they came out. This exists in 1984, <laughs> doesn't it? And great. And, you know, and I love the fact it does, but that's why this album will not be in the top 10. It, it'll be, it'll do a lot better than Fashion by Passion, yeah. but it's not a timeless album. It is, you listen, as Richard says, you put this record on, you know exactly where, yeah. where it's come from. It's timeless in my mind, which kind of shows you what time I live in. But um, yeah. just 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 one thing to note about this song. Interestingly, it's not written by the band. It's written by um, three of the lads from Angel. And I think um, Fredrickson, Meadows and Phillips. And I think it was originally written for Angel, who, of course, Jufra was in as well. So um, is he Jufra? Yeah. No offence, Greg, if you're out there listening. We'll, we'll, we'll go Jufra. Well, um, if you're out there listening, Greg, drop us an email and tell us how to pronounce it. Yes, do good. so. And then come on the show. Yeah. How about that? And then yeah. we, can, we, can, we can chat all night. And explain yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but whips is great but anyway it's a, it's a super sign off to um to side one and side two starts with uh, what a good old chugger called um can't say no for me it's a bit like breaking all the rules where the kind of harmonies in the chorus let it down a bit it just becomes a bit limp not the song just the element of it but unfortunately that's what i remember it's not the great start to side two i was hoping for yeah i found it a bit bit formulate when it started i was thinking oh no they're not going to start side two with a ballad are they and then yes. luckily, luckily it gets going 
This grew on me. I, I always thought this album dropped off on side two. I think it's a different album. I think it's a different record on side two. But I think if you take it on its own merit, it's a really strong set of songs. Mm. And I, I quite like this. It, I think it's the wrong choice for track one side two well i'll tell you for one thing it's not as good as the next two songs which are proper highlights first one's called promises this is just fantastic driving riff nice sort of storyline to it great chorus churchill just emoting as he does so well it's just got one of those voices that he can really get some passion and power into at the same time it's Quality voice, quality voice. Love the keyboard solo. I love the keyboard solo. That's a, it's such a novel thing on this. AOR Gold. I, I found the chorus a bit weak, actually. Okay. But um, the rest of it, they really get that combining the guitar with the keyboards uh, really good throughout this song. One thing to say about the the keyboard solo. This sound of keyboard you only got at this time, didn't you? I mean, it was, <laughs> it's such mid-80s. And if, uh, listeners, if you want to know what the keyboard sounds like in the solo, just think Final Countdown by Europe. In, in the 70s, it was the Hammond organ, wasn't it? In the 80s, it's the Yamaha. I absolutely love this. This is like, you know, a big, warm, sticky mess of loveliness. Um, and I, and I like the chorus. I think the chorus is great, but this is, this is just, you know, a massive wedge of classy AOR and it's great. Yeah. I haven't got any problem with this. No. Nor the next one. Perhaps walk away. Do you like that as well? Mm, yeah, I do. I, I spent the, the second half of this album trying to, I imagine all of them without the keyboards. And I'll tell you something, that it would have sounded a lot better with, without lots of the keyboards. Oh, nonsense, you old not nut-eye. this one, but not <laughs> this one. This is um, this is an exceptional piece of work, I think. Yeah. Um, and for me, it's the highlight side too yeah. of the mm-hmm. album. Yeah, it's great. Here they get the chorus proper. It's this lovely, big, soaring chorus. It's uplifting. And it's got a very good finish. Yes, it has that. And Brandon sings that. And he brings us home, actually. He sings the last three. The penultimate track being One More Night. Actually, the last two aren't great. And, and certainly One More Night is one of the less memorable numbers on here for me. don't know if you disagree. The initial riff... There's this fantastic riff they start with, and then it disappears, mm. and it and it doesn't come back until near the solo. And yeah, and I found the rest a little bit forgettable. It's all right. I think it's all right. I think it's more than all right. Mm. I think this is really good. I've, I'm kind of sold now on side two. Um, I like the riff on this. I think it does disappear, but I don't think that's actually a bad thing because I think everything else that happens in the middle of this song. It's great. I think the chorus is fantastic. As a massive piece of heavy AOR, you could do a lot worse than listen to this. This is um, this is a great piece of work. What are you on about, the two of you? You'd be great on a jury. Like, you know, five minutes ago, you said, oh, I'm not sure about a side two. I mean, I'll tell you what, I was going to hang him. We'll hang him. And then five minutes I later, no, he's fucking that. innocent. He's perfectly I didn't, innocent. <laughs> I didn't say that. I said, I said that my recollection of side two was I had no recollection of it. That's what I said. <laughs> Sorry. And, and over the last week, it's grown on me. That's what I said. Okay. Well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a honestly, I'm honestly, you're like a defence lawyer. You are yeah. twisting my words. Yeah. It's Talking my job to miss. I have no recollection of that conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! And just for you um, is the final track. This shouldn't end an album. It's a bit of a slow roller with barely a melody of any note. Properly annoying kind of choral vocals and it's just a, such an anti-climax I'm not a big fan of this I'm more than not a big fan of it all I would say in its favour is it's not the worst last song we're going to listen to tonight <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. 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 I wonder what you're referring to there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if this got them into uh, soundtracks, but this is the kind of song that they'd have uh, on some love scene of a sea movie, isn't it? It's, um, um, I mean, they tried to be atmospheric, and I just thought, well, where have the guitars gone? Um, yes. and, it, and it doesn't really doesn't really go anywhere, does it? So, yeah. No. The absence of guitars, a sign of things to come, unfortunately, with the next album. But um, anyway, there you go. There you go. That was White's Sister and their eponymously titled debut album, um, reviewed in all its glory. Highs and lows, gentlemen, please. Well, yeah, so just for you is my low. And highs, oof. Uh, yeah, there were a few vying for it and I think it's changed around but I'm going to give it to track one don't say that you're mine cool okay Mark just for you is not for me um so that takes care of the low and the high well they've scored more or less identically uh, I think I would say love don't make it right but on another day could equally have been whips or controversially breaking all the rules but no uh, love don't make it right for me. No, I'm with you, Mark. Certainly love don't. And yeah, clean sweep for um, for just for you. And yeah, love don't make it right. Is, was, ever will be um, my favourite track off this album, which is White Sisters' debut album from 1984. So let's fast forward how many years? Someone help me out. Eight, is it? One. One, is it? One. <laughs> One. <laughs> so let's fast That's forward. That's if I'm editing this, that's staying in. It can do. This, this is what makes this show magic. The fact that I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Fast forward one year, apparently, to um, which fucking album we do next. <laughs> Fight to Survive by White Light. Try Richard. that again. Go on. Okay. No, no, no. No need to try it again. This is all going beautifully. Um, Richard. <laughs> Fight to Survive by White Lion. I mean, Mark, you're criticising Steve, but obviously, you know, he's done his research and he's he's thinking, well, surely we should be doing the UK release date of Fight to Survive, which was yes. indeed eight years later in, uh, in 1992. And, yes. Thank you. and that's why you mentioned it not quite half an hour ago, you see. There's a method to the madness. <laughs> so let's fast forward eight years. Yes, really, let's. Yeah. Opening album sleeve notes. Yes, and to an album that was recorded in 1984. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which actually is is a really good introduction to um, poor old white lion lots of stories out there if you don't know much about them and you uh, want to find out more around the uh, the band that was allowed to die and, and uh, a number of sad stories about these bands that that never quite made it opening album sleeve notes so fight to survive white lion's debut you know recorded in uh, in 1984 they were signed to electra and uh, electra just after you know, it, all this was recorded and about to be released, they dropped them. Why? Well, the lead singer Mike Tramp said that uh, he believed that because Electra had already signed Motley Crue and Dokken, they were too samey. Um, I mean, we'll get on to discuss, I think, uh, later. But I think, actually, as a debut, I think it, sh- it did show a lot of promise. So, yeah, they were dropped by Electra. They, their manager managed to get... Uh, persuaded Japanese uh, record label uh, Victor to uh, 
released the album in 85. It was then eventually uh, released uh, in the US in 1986 on Grand Slam. And as Steve uh, very accurately mentioned earlier, that uh, eventually it was given a UK release on Music for Nations in 1992. Why as a band, they formed in 83. Uh, uh, Mike Tramp, their vocalist, met up with uh, Vito Bratta, their guitarist, formed the band. They uh, recruited uh, Felix Robinson and Nicky Capozzi on bass and drums, respectively. And, yeah, Fight to Survive was their debut. So obviously didn't chart, given that um, it was the plug was pulled so often on it. Um, and we've got no indication of, of any, any sales information. A lot of you may know White Lion from their second album, which is Pride. Uh, I'm sure we will review that at some point, but certainly listening to the two albums back to back, I prefer this one, which is why I chose it. Track-wise, there are 10, five on each side. Uh, side one, Broken Heart, Cherokee, Fight to Survive, Where Do We Run and In The City. And side two is All The Fallen Men, all burn in hell, kid of a thousand faces, El Salvador, and the road to Valhalla. Again, it's another big slab of of mid eighties, slightly harder rock. This is this is this is very much guitar driven, and particular particularly by the uh, fairly talented fingers of uh, Mister Vito Bratta. So, how did you gents get on with it? I like it. I like it. Um, it's not amazing, Bernie Stretch. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Vito Bratta at the end, and we certainly will talk about him. What a, what a gem. What a really decent guitarist. He is. Star of the show, Mike Tramp? No, I don't think so. It's interesting. I, there's all this sad story of White Line. I'm sure we've read the same pieces. Do you know what? It wasn't that sad in the grand scheme of things. You know, yes, they caught some tough breaks, I dare say, but they need to take responsibility for Big Game, their fucking third album, which was on a major label. They were there. They'd made it, Electra, produced by one of the producers of the 1980s, Michael Wagner. It just wasn't any good. And they fucking wrote it. So sad as you like, you know, they should take some responsibility for the fact that they sort of <laughs> fucked themselves up. To me, where White Lion were with Pride is very reminiscent of where Rats were with Invasion in, in 85, um, which like Pride, incidentally, was a double platinum album. And like White Lion, that was Rat's last high point, second album. And you can look around for all you want for excuses. Rat have none. Dancing Undercover, the third album was shy. Never recovered from that. No one to blame but themselves. And I feel exactly the same way about White Lion with Big Game, which is bollocks. So they weren't allowed to die. They helped themselves. And yet, going back to this, yeah, they started out so well with Fight to Survive. It's not amazing. Let's not begin to pretend it is. But there's some tame moments in here. Um, <laughs> there's a fucking shocker or two as well. But, um, but there's some really good stuff. But there's yeah. some really good stuff. For a first yeah. effort, stuff that does hint at a really, really bright future. And as I say, they, they can blame you know the fucking Pope for all I care, that, that, that they need to hold their hands up. I like this. I've, I've had a lot of fun listening to it. Yeah, I've had a lot of fun listening to it as well. I listened to Fight to Survive and I think, God, that was actually not a bad album, you know, for a young band just starting out, you know, it, it had some bite to it, no pun intended. It was hooky, you know, where it needed to be hooky. You're right, Steve, it's got, you know, a couple of absolute howlers on it as well. But... In the context of that scene at that time, West Coast American glam metal, I suppose, my, my enduring memory of White Lion was that they were a bit lightweight. They were always a bit lightweight. Pride, I never liked. I thought I, I thought it was a horrible album. Not as bad as Big Game, you're right. But I thought it was a horrible album. It did brilliantly for them. Mm. So what do I know? But as a as a listen, it was a 
it was a monumental sellout to MTV. Uh, made them a hat full of money. Great, good for them. Um, but as a piece of music, don't like it. This, I think, is a much, much better album than that one. So I agree with you there, Richard. I don't think they did anything on Fight to Survive that that made them step up and step out of that sort of Brea tar pit of glamness that was coming out of America at the time. And I think they, I think the problem with this album is it didn't sound any, it doesn't really sound any different to anything else that was around at that time. It's okay. It's a decent first stab at a debut album. There is life, even after a broken heart, broken Give it a listen. Uh, this is a 10 tracks, and uh, it starts off with a track called Broken Heart. Quite a melodic start. Starts with Mike Trump feeling sorry for himself. Not got much sympathy from it at this stage, but eventually, eventually it gets going uh, into some really nice riffs. Vito Bratta. Oh, hello. Yeah, I think with, you know, as a track one of album one, this band has promised. This yep. is why. This is why the eighties were brilliant. I tell you what. The, the interesting thing about this song is, it's so confident is Mike Tramp in his ability to carry this band to pull at the heartstrings. That his that his emotive voice is going to be the heartbeat of this band. That we start off, as you say, not a song, not an album, but a career with what seems to be a ballad, or at least mm. the start of one. It's a brave call because it is a bit slushy, as you say, for sort of forty seconds or so. But then the riff kicks in and. Um, and yeah, the first solo from from Brat. I like this song a lot. It, really interesting start, but when it gets going, top shredding. Already know that Tramp's whiny voice is going to annoy me at some point. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. But this is this is a good opener. This is a yeah. really good opener. I, everyone listening, search this out and put it on a playlist because yeah. you will end yeah. up singing along, singing yes. along. <laughs> it's on the playlist. I, I love this song. I absolutely love it. The only downside for this song is that my wife also likes it and that's always a bad sign. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Mike Tramp's voice gets right on my tits. <laughs> and it always has. Um, you know, but this is all kinds of hooky. If they kept this level up, they'd have been absolutely massive. Mm. Absolutely yeah. massive. Yeah. And instead... <laughs> <laughs> they follow it with a history lesson. <laughs> and not the first, and not the only no, one. Of course, no, not at all. No, indeed, indeed. The whole um, thing to school, and and again, you've got this. Oh, I don't know. I mean, right. So cracking little chuggedy chuggedy riff, brilliant guitars again. You know, a nice driving song. But then you've got this inane. Lyrics over the top. I mean, I, I, right, verse two. 
you were young and you were wise. You were the smoke that always ra- raised. How they, <laughs> how they put you down and spit upon your name. You were snow and you were rain. You would walk without a shame, but they changed your life and gave you all the blame. <laughs> um, subject matter. <laughs> Let's sit down. But a great solo. Bratter solo. An extra through this song. Fantastic. Can I say 10 words that I never, ever thought I'd hear myself say? Go on. I prefer the song of the same name by Europe. This this is shocking. Abs- apart from apart from the guitar, this is absolutely shocking. Uh, the guitar does retrieve it. So, and I read an interview with Tramp where he said, um, I always struggle to write about sex and innuendo, which is a crying shame because not only do I love sex and innuendo, and, and it should be the bedrock of any aspiring glam songwriter, but it means he's pedal shite like this, and, as you, and it's not the first time we're going to get this. It's not rock gold, is it, this song? But, no. But, but Vito, Vito Bratter, you know, he, he does almost retrieve it. He does almost save it from the bin. Can I ask a question? Does anybody else know what that kind of synthesizer sound effect from Star- I Lost My Heart to a Starship Trooper is all about in the middle of it? As well? <laughs> no. Fuck's sake. <laughs> well, let's move on to track three, the title track. Big star, Brat is doing his thing again. And and then we get, I think in my view, a superb bass line through this song from Robinson. We need we do need to draw this rock family tree because uh, Felix Robinson was in Angel with Greg Giffre. Mm-hmm. He was there from mm-hmm. eight, uh, 77 to, to 81. Track of the album for me, this uh, pulsing verse, big ringing chords, the chorus just lets rip, uh, really lifts everything up. I think they're on fire on this song. I think it's brilliant. It's a, it's a proper heavy metal song, isn't it? Yeah, I, th- I think this is good. I think it's, uh, you know, properly kind of riffy. It's got, you know, good kind of chugging riff. Um, it's, it's also kind of got that sort of signature quiet verse, isn't it, before it all erupts in the yeah. choruses. Yeah. I, I don't think Mike Tramp's ever going to be named Poet Laureate of any country. But, yeah, this is this is um, much better, much, much better. You know, so far we've got two out of three that are pretty good. Mm. Yeah, this is, yeah, I'm not quite as, in, as taken with this as, um, as you are, Richard, I must admit. But um, I love Bratter's kind of, you know, that Eddie Van Halen stuff at the start. That's definitely good old school tapping isn't it and yeah, um yeah. and he's got he's got that in his uh, he's got that in his locker I do like it. It is pretty heavy. There's a nice proper chug to it. But Bratter again lights the track up. The beef in this is is good, and again, it's giving you a hint of what's possible, and we don't get enough of this. Mm. And we could say similar things about where do we run? I think, which is track yeah. four, because I mean, it, it is. But one question on my lips, listening to this again and again, and hearing uh, Bratter's skills is why. Because he wasn't really picked up by a bigger band, was he? I mean, and that's what I don't understand. He got someone who's this skillful. Why didn't someone else snap him up? You know, and now he's vanished. No, yeah. I mean, he doesn't do anything, does he? Yeah. Um, which is astonishing, really. I'm not. I don't like this song at all. And the reason I don't like it is Tramp's voice. He's actually singing the same note all the way through. It's just really. I just gets on my tits, if I'm honest. It's just a bit anodyne, isn't it? Mm. Just doesn't do anything, doesn't go anywhere, doesn't kind of engage at all on any sort of level, really. It's stop, start, stop, start. Yeah, even Brass's guitar can't save this. No. It's not. Right now, right now, I'm starting to question the Kerrang! reviewer who claimed Tramp had a better voice than Diamond Dave. I, mean, I might have questioned that at the time, Steve, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. I mean, it's an odd comparison anyway, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, the, the it is, yeah. Singer, is he? He's quite a cabaret performer anyway. But yeah. um, uh, to be fair, Kerrang, I think they were talking about pride at the time, but uh, Tramp's voice is not the best. I don't think he was hired for his voice, was he? No. You know? We knew 
back at the, the yeah yeah he looks yeah, good in they, they were all here all right let's finish the side and uh, side one ends with into the city so this is your standard mid 80s big slow song so it yeah, like so- a fucking black sabbath number <laughs> <laughs> if only <laughs> fingering guitar chords but i mean you know, the, Melodic bass. It's a fun, I don't know. It's a funny song. It's a song of definitely song of two parts, isn't it? I'm not bothered about that sort of plodding, largely uninteresting first half. But what, what, they all kind of collectively go ballistic and then inject some real pace mm. when Bratter starts yeah, as yeah. chorus. I quite yeah. like it from then on. It's not. I mean, the, the, the interlude between the two is not amazing, but it, it elevates a pretty dour track. Otherwise, I think I'm not really not sold on this opening to it. But mm. It does pick up. I also picked up on the sort of the, the doomy Black Sabbath opening, and never have I wanted to hear Ozzy Osbourne more than I did at that moment. <laughs> yeah. um, I think the fact that it all goes mental two thirds of the way in, it's almost like they're going fucking. Oh, this is dreary. Let's jazz it up a bit. It's almost like an afterthought. It's almost an in- incidental. It's fine. Yeah, I don't dislike it. It's all right. It's all right. Okay, let's uh, flip the album over then. And uh, the history lesson continues with a song of remembrance called All the Fallen Men. And this is more mid-paced, fairly laid-back riff, solid bass line. And apart from that, for me, there's not too much going on. It's my track of the album. Is it? My absolute track of the album. Wow, okay. Mark, go Go back and play the first two seconds and then tell me Animal Fuck Like a Beast. Yes, it is, isn't it? Yeah. I love this song so much. It's got that nice kind of malice, Y&T, rough cut opening, a really mean riff. This is 1980s hard rock, um, and I like it. Drive that riff along, baby. This is why the 80s were invented. I just think it's okay. beautiful. I think it's brilliant. And just when you think it can't get any better, there's a midsection, led inevitably by Bratter, when they go all Armoured Saint on us, which is never a bad thing. Plenty more of Armoured Saint to come tonight, by the way. This is gold. This is this is gold. I really, really like this track. I'm with Steve. This is my track of the album as well. All I would say, though, is they've ripped the riff straight off the right to rock by Keel, because mm. you could almost sing that to this. But yeah, I, I, I think this is properly, properly good. Okay, uh, track seven is... All burn in hell. This is more atmospheric again before their time, really. But it was almost like you know, it's a Queensrÿche kind of start to this. Um, uh, for me, quite a hooky riff. Uh, then it, I mean, it chugs along quite nicely. And more big melodic choruses. Nice little stops, breaks, and fills. Uh, I, yeah, I, I like this one. So I see, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? It's what we, what we all individually yeah. hear. Yeah. Because for me, this, this is just really kind of quite straightforward. It goes back to what I said right at the start. The, the problem for, for, I think, for White Lion was always in my mind that they couldn't differentiate themselves from everything else that was going on, mm. apart from the odd thing like weight on pride broken heart on this but there was too much of it It was just yeah i can't have been hearing this now for like months and months and months Mm. and this is another one it's fine but it's there's nothing that makes go oh that's different or it's difficult though mark isn't it it was such a congested marketplace wasn't it yeah it it really was it was difficult to stand above the crowd and so that they and when they could see everyone was just melding into it and making money what what, why wouldn't you choose that option so yes this is formulaic this track is formulaic i like the formula like you i i I like the formula i love the choral work well you're both wrong but that's fine um (laughs) track eight is kid of a thousand faces uh and this one started off and he's a co-writer on this by uh, Nikki Capozzi. Uh, does a little bit of a 
turn on the kit into a fairly good heavy set of power chords and then into a song that for me has got a real groove to it i'm hearing living color in this uh, opening riff um and there's almost a very vernon reed solo later i like this it's got a really good groove to it good rhythm and i think this is a good example of actually this band has got a wider range of influences i agree with that i think i think this is a this is certainly a, a step up from burning hell i, I think the the structure of it's more interesting. I think it's heavier. It's much heavier. Arguably, along with All the Fallen Men, I think it's one. It's the heaviest song on the album. Mm. So, yeah, it kind of ticks a load of boxes. And and I quite like the chorus. I think that's quite hooky as well. Mm. It sticks in your head. So, yeah, no, I'm I'm signed on for this, definitely. Yeah, yeah me too. I quite like it. Can we just get on to the last two, though, please? Yeah, they're more <laughs> interesting to talk about. <laughs> yes, let's. Let's. <laughs> let's, uh, yes, so... What, um, a couple of corkers, yes. Mm. Uh, we've got to finish the album. Uh, I wish they had. Uh, let's uh, first talk about El Salvador. Starts with a Spanish electric guitar battle. Brattle's doing that with himself. Yeah, this is a history lesson about, I'm presuming, I don't know if you two have uh, had a look into this at all, but uh, I'm presuming the Civil War in El Salvador, which uh, raged from 1979 to 1992. And uh, White Lion felt a bit sorry for the people in it and wrote a song about it. The world is full of, and generally worse off for, songs about wars and politics. Um, and I, honourable exceptions, go to Ram Stein with America, which is just a hoot. However, Danish-American Mike Tramp is not El Salvadorian or whatever it is, and he should not be getting stuck into this because it just sounds so laughable. It's so earnest, it's actually hilarious. The music's nondescript, but that's just an absolute footnote to analysing the fucking worthiness of this on the most bizarre level. I love this for all the wrong reasons. It is utter shite. <laughs> As a, musically, it's a six and a half out of ten job, but you cannot ignore the words, or I can't, and that brings it right down. <laughs> Do you know what? I think I think we're being harsh <laughs> because we are talking about a band who come from a nation that has absolutely no fucking awareness of anything going on outside its own borders. Yeah. So, what you really need to educate the young people of America into the plight and suffering of people around the world is an American heavy metal band (laughs) to put it all into the medium of song. It made me smile, this with the lyrics. And but this song's redeeming feature is it's got a proper northern gallop to it, hasn't it? Yep. Uh, I and, can't some help Russian, think and some Russian been, chanting. Yes. <laughs> yes. I can't help but think it would have been better if Man of War had done it, though. <laughs> yeah. But they could have done the next one. <laughs> okay, well, let's move on to it. The uh, the final track of uh, White Lions, Fight Survive, which is the road to Valhalla. Valhalla um, <laughs> is it Viking heaven, isn't it, basically? <laughs> Um, so I don't know what uh, this is Mike Tramp's uh, Scandinavian background I mean it also shows the, the budget of, of these albums doesn't it um, so it starts with, with some approximation synthesizer approximation of some Norse horns which um, just sounds like something a, a kid would do in a Bon Tempe and, and then it, then into uh, into a piano driven piece. <laughs> we, uh, yeah, and then we just get some uh, big piano driven piece of cheese. Really, we do get some guitars after after three minutes. 
there's a slightly bigger finish, but but no, this is uh, <laughs> this is not a way to finish a decent attempt at a first timeout, is it? <laughs> okay, all right. So, at what point in this process of releasing this album did the producer say no? <laughs> exactly. No, no, a thousand times no. We'll no. make it nine songs. Believe me, it'll be better. Where was that in the process? Because this is an absolute shock fest. <laughs> it is astonishing. I, I just who get who he said. I tell you what, the, the, the guitar at the start of El Salvador, a bit of decent Spanish guitar, makes you think you're in Central America. So Valhalla. Uh, let's get Richard Claydeman playing the fucking piano. <laughs> I mean, just where's the association with that? And then Tramp goes all gawky park during that. You know, that, that shite, utter shite, which Bon Jovi cobbled together for them. This is this is just yuck, 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 yuck. <laughs> it's just yuck. And you're saying, and you're, and you're saying, please stop. Mike, please stop. Someone let Vito Bratter in, because I can't take much more of this. And then, two minutes, 46 seconds, Bratter does enter the arena but has nothing particularly special to add for once. It's like no. you can't save this track. He simply cannot save this track. And and actually, it finishes abominably, and I'm now going to dock it another half mark. Actually, just... <laughs> <laughs> and also, fucking, we've had Cherokee, we've had Sal Salvador, Valhalla. What are they going to open the next album with? You know, Raising Hell in Hemel Hempstead or something. It's like a fucking global tour, isn't it? I just... I don't know. Honestly, the, the paramedics are out and they're performing chest compressions, but the patient is... <laughs> long gone <laughs> so um we better get on to highs and lows what what was so what would you low be <laughs> <laughs> yeah doesn't even need articulating my high my high is um yeah no I, I i make no apology all the fallen men no very good very good mark ditto uh, I'm, I'm dittoing also the unspoken low yes <laughs> Yeah, let's be clear. I think we're unanimous that it's Valhalla. Yeah. But it's about Viking heaven. It's Viking hell. Sorry, and sorry, your high mark. Sorry, did I miss it? Dittoing Steve. All the form. Oh, right. Sorry. Oh, oh, ditto, ditto. Wow. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah well, I'm, I'm going to differ from you and I'm going to give it to my high to the title track, which is Fight to Survive. So there we go. That's uh, White Lion's debut. Fight to Survive, 1985, 6, 92, whatever you like. Um, <laughs> Uh, you can pick it, any of them up on uh, on Discogs, I think. And uh, we'll now go, well, <laughs> I either, um, what is it, uh, eight eight or one year into the future. <laughs> Don't ask me. Don't ask me. <laughs> uh, and um, a very interesting album from Anthrax entitled Sound of White Noise, Mark. Opening album sleeve notes. Okay, so um, Anthrax's best album ever? Question mark. Is this an Anthrax album at all? Question mark. This is, I think, one of the most interesting albums that we'll probably we have talked about so far. And because what you have here is a band that I think identified that it's largely irrelevant. That what it was doing 
has with the advent of sort of Nirvana and Alice in Chains and Pearl Jam and all the rest of them, we have ushered in a new kind of era in the genre. And I think that Anthrax have have kind of looked at that and recognised that they can't put out another persistence of time or another among the living or another state of euphoria. They have to do something completely different. I think what they also identified was that in Joey Belladonna, they had a vocalist who was not going to take them into the future. And what we end up with with Sound of White Noise is an album that sounds, by and large, completely different to anything they have done before. I mean, I've seen reviews that have kind of likened the sound to Alice in Chains. That's hardly surprising. Dave Jordan was who produced it, produced a load of Alice in Chains stuff. I think what is surprising is the choice of vocalists they go for. So they have a world to choose from. This, you know, Anthrax are a big band at this point. And they go for John Bush from Armoured Saint, who, frankly, is a much better singer than Joey Belladonna. Whether you prefer him to Joey Belladonna, I guess, subjective thing. But, you know, he is a different singer. He takes them in a different direction. This is kind of Armoured Saint meets Metallica, this album, I think. Um, So, you know, it's a very different sound for Anthrax. It's their biggest commercial hit of anything they have done previously or since. It goes to number seven in the American Billboard 200. Number seven. I mean, for a rock band, that is pretty good. This is taken to the hearts of America. It does well in the UK, does better than any other Anthrax album in the UK as well. So, And then Stomp 442 falls off a cliff. So what does that say? Does that say everybody loved Persistence of Time, they went out and bought Sound of White Noise and the strength of it? Or does it say Sound of White Noise was shit and therefore it drops off? Or does it say this is a great album and Stomp 442 wasn't? I don't know. I think when you look at this on its own merits, it is a great album. Is it a great Anthrax album? Well, we're about to find out. But before we do that, we probably ought to do some uh, nuts and bolts. You know, this is Anthrax. You know, this is number six, album number six. They've done five with Joey Belladonna. This is the sixth one. They will do another two. Uh, after this with John Bush. The band are formed in New York, uh, in the United States of America. They are one of the big four, along with Slayer, Megadeth and Metallica. The album's released May 25, 1993, recorded late in the preceding year. It's on the Elektra album. Uh, Interestingly, they would get dropped very quickly after the next album. They'd get dropped from their label. Um, So that tells you something. It comes in at just under an hour, so it's long. Recorded three three studios in Hollywood, Henson Recording Studios, El Dorado Recording Studios, and obviously Cherokee Studios, named after the White Lion song of the same <laughs> title. Persistence of Time is the same as the previous release, Stomp 442, the next one. So personnel, John Bush on vocals, uh, Dan Spitz, lead guitar, Scott Ian on rhythm guitar, Frank Bello on bass, and by the way, he turns up in this, he does a fantastic job, I think, Frank Bello on bass, and Charlie Benante on drums. So when gold in America, 514,000 units, it's 11 tracks end to end. Uh, as I say, running time of just under uh, an hour. Boys, it's <laughs> kind of, well, I don't know. I'm still not entirely sure how I feel about it, but maybe you're more certain about how you do, Steve. You're very reasonable. You're being very reasonable. Big four without Flotsam and Jetsam, by the way. Anthrax minus Joey Belladonna. Seriously? <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I mean, I'm a, you know, we're all massive Anthrax fans, and um, this came as a massive letdown when I yeah, first did. heard it. 
Yeah. Yeah. And as you, I mean, you know, for those of us who lived and died by spreading the disease and among the living, this felt so, so different. Even next to State of Euphoria, which is only, you know, what, four years before it or something. Obviously, as you've said, Mike, you know, we've got a completely different sound of the mind. And yes, they were adapting to times. Did they need to? That, that would be my question. I mean, John Bush is not Joey Belladonna Mark II, as anyone who knows this album knows that there is only one Joey Belladonna. So you immediately think, okay, well, they changed the singer, but the sound of the band won't have changed, will it? Even if the sound of the vocalist has, and yes, actually, it has quite a lot. The edginess has gone, the cheek. This was a funny band. This was a band that was built on humour. You know, they were a really witty band. That's gone. The innovation's gone. All those telltale sort of pace and tempo key changes, you know, fast, fast as fuck, fucking fast. Those kind of tempo changes that they sort of prided themselves on. Yeah. Mostly gone. So I'm not getting Anthrax here as a whole, but if I, if I was trying to be mature about it, which I'm not, um, but if I try and be mature about it, then I, I don't have a pro- I shouldn't have a problem with it, um, which wasn't the case at the time. As a standalone piece of metal, and let's put it out there, this ain't thrash. It's not crossover. It's, no. it's none of what none of what they work. This is a power rock album. Yeah, it's just fucking crocus with a bit of balls. Um, but as a standalone piece of metal, it's good because while Anthrax may have moved on from um, from what I love, Charlie Bonante writes most of this stuff. The majority of it. He's still a supreme songwriter, and the songs here are good in places. Very good in one or two cases. And Bonante said it. Oh, this quote: Some people said we went a little. This is from Bonante. Some people said we went a little grunge on that record. The only reason why they say that is because Dave Jordan produced it. And he did the Alice in Chains stuff. It would be really hard for us to come out. This is what you said, Mark. It would be really, really hard for us to come out and do Among the Living again with a new vocalist. I think it was a watershed moment. Now, he's right, but only to a degree, because this is this is quite grungy. I mean, they're, 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 they're adapting to the times. Let's not pretend otherwise. But had they tried to do, as you said, Mark, had they tried to do another Among the Living, would it have sold? Well, I'd have bought it. But they couldn't do it with Bush. They could not have done it with Bush, clearly. Um, Because we'd have accused them of trying to cling to former glories and and that it was time to move on. It just wouldn't have worked um, to the same extent. But if I'm honest, there's bits on there like it's too long. Can I get that in straight away? There's bits on here I like, but I just find myself mourning the death of early anthrax. I still do now. I'm 56 years old, and, and I've grown up. I think, but I still, I still, I still feel shortchanged a little. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Yeah, Richard. It's not anthrax as we know it, is it? Reckon I'd have realised it was anthrax if it was a blind listening, maybe at track three. Yeah. It, and it's not just grunge, is it? Because you can hear there was, must have been some influence of the Black Album and and mm. the direction that that Metallica had, had then took. Uh, in in 91 and the other band i can hear in here which were ripping up the rule book were faith no more and so i can hear bits of that in here and i suppose where am i bands have got to adapt and change my my statement is that anthrax took too much of all of this other stuff as opposed to actually kept the core of what of, of what was them and then see how some of this other stuff could could change that but after i got over the shock uh, the more I listened to it, the more it grew on me. As a piece of work, it's a pretty accomplished heavy metal album. I don't think there's a bad track on it. There are certainly some tracks that are better than others, but it's got no howlers. But it's an, an album that um, you, you have to focus on. Where I am with it is, I, I think I'm probably more enthusiastic about it than the pair of you. I kind of got quite quickly to the, all right, let's not try to let's not try to listen to this as an anthrax album because that's that's pointless the road that's the road to hell because it's always going to fare badly so let's look at this as a piece of metal that comes out in 1993 yeah as part of the sort of burgeoning alt rock movement and i think it's a pretty solid piece of 
hard rock and there are some tracks on here that i think are absolutely stellar and there are some tracks on here that i think are a bit meh and there's some stuff on there that i think is quite interesting would i listen to it all in its entirety again no because as steve says it's much too long but i was expecting to hate it as much as i hated it when it first came out i don't think i'm as close to anthrax steve as you were with joey belladonna so therefore i probably don't feel quite as betrayed as you do by it so i'm i'm probably more accepting of where they've gone with it who knows let's go on and listen to it and we can uh, we can try and unpick some of that stuff i was told to love you i was told to So the, the album kicks off first of 11 tracks with um, Potter's Field, starts off with some white noise FX and, uh, and a little voiceover that tells you that this is a journey into sound. This is, this is 90s version Anthrax. It's all slow and laborious. And uh, I think this is quite Black Sabbathy in places because it's, it's really moody and gloomy. John Bush is another one of these vocalists who can sing pretty much anything as long as you like that style because this is he's doing nothing different here to what he does in uh, with armored saint this is almost more an armored saint album than it is an anthrax album Mm. i think some of the phrasing conversational a little bit anthrax it's a good riff it's heavier it's slower but there are stronger songs on the album yeah i'm i certainly agree with you richard a little bit of the phrasing certainly the conversational stuff and also perhaps a little bit of bonante's drum work which i've heard before and like that sort of rapid fire machine gun stuff that he does so nicely um yeah powerful opener anyone know what potter's field is no do you no (laughs) (laughs) well while you two are talking about the next one, I'll see if I can find out. Uh, <laughs> the next one is a song that was described by one J. Hetfield Esquire as the perfect song. This is only... For me, this kind of betrays a little bit of Anthrax going poppy, which sounds ridiculous because this is an absolutely brutal riff going through it. But the chorus is really hooky, uh, as is the, the chorus on the next one, Room for One More. And... This is the point where I kind of sat up and thought, okay, yeah, I kind of get this now. It's not what I was expecting. It's nothing. It's nothing like the previous five albums. But if it carries on in this vein, this is something I can buy into. And I think they do quite a job of carrying that through the album. Actually, mm, mm. I like this. Must admit, I like having said there's old, no old Anthrax on it. There was almost no sort of Indians. Um, in that opening drum roll, but but I think this is this is where Bush is his most armoured saint on this track, yeah. I think. And um, suddenly I'm now not listening to Anthrax at all, but 
the same. Yeah, it's just beefy, it's catchy, definitely heavy enough. Um, it's a die for chorus, which is quite mean. And a guitar solo from Dan Spitz, which you don't always get. Yeah, I'm with that. It's a good song, but Faith No More do these does this better. This is I got total Faith No More on this. I could imagine a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well look, let's move it on to the track that I think is the track of the album actually. And this is more kind of old school anthrax, I think. It's got that kind of tribal drum beat going um, from Charlie Bonante and I love the bass on I think Frank Bellow's right on it here. But it's also, it's, it's almost like this is a perfect mix between anthrax and Armoured Saint. A meeting of minds for me. I think this is a great, great song. Doesn't Bush sound a little bit Belladonna-ish as well? Just a little mm. bit? You know, he's, he's almost yeah. like lifted his voice a, 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 a tiny I mean, it's a chugger. There are no sort of to die for anthrax time changes on this album, but this track just benefits from a real, it just benefits from that sort of relentless grind. Um, but there's a lovely breakdown um, into the chorus, which is quite old school. Oh, I just think this is a monster. Probably the best riff on the album throughout. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Mark. It's my, my track of the album. Not my track of the album. I, I, are there others I prefer? Very happy with it. Yeah, this is the this is the most most anthraxy song so far. Mm. Uh, the next uh, track then, uh, track four, is Package Rebellion. So, so a little story. When I was 17, I had a school German exchange trip and we all took our German exchange partners off to Cambridge for the day. And while I was in Cambridge, there was one of the girls who was also on the German exchange. I had a bit of a thing for, for Liz and she was into CND. So um, I bought myself a CND badge in Cambridge and pinned it on my donkey jacket and this song is all about me this song Pikey's Rebellion it's all about those twats who sign up to causes that they don't really believe in but they like the t-shirt or they like the badge and I really like this I, I it took a while to grow it really did I almost kind of skipped it but I found the sort of the stop start kind of structure to it really hard at first but then uh, lyrically, I kind of get it, and I it, it grew. Very punky, alternative-y, grungy, isn't it? I felt there wasn't enough going on in here to last six minutes. A song like this, make it last three, and it mm. would be all the better for it. it. does speed up towards the end, which I quite like. And then there's sort of this bizarre ending as it goes into the next track that's almost like War Pigs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like the ending. I think that's almost a redeeming feature. It's a contrary to what Bonante says. It isn't the fact that J- Dave Jordan is on the decks that many people think this is a bit grungy. It's because it is grungy. So, and tracks like this, just absolute testament to that. Okay, so track five, High Pro Glow, uh, one of the four singles that came off came off the, the album. I have to say this leaves me a bit cold. There, there are bits of it I quite like. When it gets going in the middle, it gets quite a good kind of head of steam up and I quite like the structure of it when it's got a bit more guts in it. So you've got all of the instrumentation working behind it for the sort of the middle section of it. But to be honest, it's I just think it's a bit meh, really. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys are going to tell me it's one of your favourites, aren't you? Well, I would, I would imagine. Is this one of your Faith No More parallels, Richard? This is my absolute Alice in Chains parallel. Again, the the, the vocal phrasing, okay, that bit, that, that's anthrax. But then when it gets into the, the bridge and the chorus and those harmonies, those are total Alice in Chains. So what you're saying, Richard, is the bit I like is Alice in Chains. Could be. <laughs> Could be. Let's uh, move it on to another six-minuter that isn't worth six minutes, not by a bloody long way. Uh, Invisible. I don't know what's going on with this track. It's a, it's a bit like the last one. It's a bit like High Pro Glow. There are bits of it where 
kind of all falls into place and you get into a rhythm and you, it's quite groovy and then there's the time changes whereas with the old anthrax i you know i'm comparing it to old anthrax which i said i wasn't going to do but the old anthrax they'd kind of chop it up go into something different and then they pick it all up again and they don't with this it just seems to meander all over the bloody place and it goes on for six minutes and ten seconds i'm not a fan of this I am. I really like it. I like the flanging guitars, and it gets into a proper, proper riff. Anthrax riff? Or is it a Metallica riff? And I love, I love the way the other, other song lifts. The subject material is proper Anthrax as well, isn't it? This chorus lifts, and it drops back in again to the, to the verse. So yeah, this is one of my songs of the album. Yeah, I, I, I love it. I love, I love that riff, and I love the fact that sometimes they strip back, take a layer away, add a layer on. That is anthrax. That's classic anthrax. And um, you know, there's gang chorals in here that were a kind of hallmark of um, of their early stuff as well. I could have done with more of that throughout the album. I like this. Six minutes ten, though. It doesn't need to be six minutes ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree with that. Okay. Well, we get a thousand points of hate next. Uh, track seven. This is not by any stretch classic anthrax but there are echoes of it in this it's quite angry it's kind of snarly and nasty and and it is grungy it's really grungy as well which actually i quite like i have to say quite like i think this is a lot better than the last track we've still got i think the best is yet to come on the album but this is a step up for me yeah i I thought it was a bit of a sister song to invisible but i like i quite like it again like the, the step up the pace another good fast finish for me we're in a quite a nice sweet spot of this album track eight is well anthrax pretty much do a ballad for the first time um and i think that's a good thing because i think this is a fucking brilliant piece of work i absolutely love this song it's moody and gloomy and full of kind of menace and threats and 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 nastiness just love it i think this is brilliant absolutely brilliant it's eerie atmospheric complex yeah quite mature this is anthrax do tarantino and yeah here's an introduction of another band there are almost echoes of anthrax doing blue oyster cult (laughs) i've got opeth doing mamas and papas (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's just the, that's just the other side of the same coin Steve. <laughs> uh, yeah i do like this it's, it's the most chilled track on the album yeah or mean possibly but it's, it's quite cool i think it's quite cool yeah, it's nice enough cool build track. to it um, and i love that nice pickup about three minutes in when the pace quickens yeah i wasn't expecting it i'll tell you what you put this on on your headphones in the dark and it's mm. bloody brilliant absolutely yeah. brilliant track. yeah Track nine, sodium pentothal, or C11H17N2O2S and NA. Um, I really quite like this. Um, it's it's fast, it's quick, snappy. It's um, it's got quite a lot of bite, I think, mainly through John Bush's vocal delivery, but also uh, Bonanza's drums as well. And you, and finally, we get a bit of Dan Spitz as well, which is good. Um, so yeah, like this. It's, it's almost like we've got a two-parter coming now. Which th- that they haven't really split. And I prefer part two, which is called Burst. It, they, they're almost joined at the hip. So this is okay, but as I say, the bit to follow is better. Yeah, for me, this is a bit more formulaic after the last three. Formulaic. <laughs> C11, H17. Yeah, it's anaesthetic, isn't it? I felt the album hit its sweet spot on the previous three tracks. So this is, is perfectly fine, but... Cracking riff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, give them that. Okay, well, let, let's get to part two of Sodium Pentothal, which is called Burst. Um, Steve, what, why do you like this so much? 
it's that same injection of pace, isn't it? And 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 serious pace with this one, um, which should be right in my wheelhouse. I do like it. Funny enough, it's not a particularly memorable piece of work. You know, mean plus fast ought to equal brilliant. Um, it just adds up to good, if I'm honest. But I just prefer this of the two tracks. I'm beginning to tire of the album now. Luckily, there's a redeeming feature on track 11. Yeah, I quite like Burst. I like the chorus, not a big fan of the rest of it. Richard? It's got a good pace, it's simple, it's fast, but it's simple and it's fast. <laughs> Expect more of these guys. Oh, there you go. That's their end of term report. Could do better, I think we translate that as. Okay, so the album signs off with This Is Not An Exit. Now, clearly, I have not heard what Steve has heard, because uh-huh. although I quite like it, I wouldn't say that this was a high point in the album. I thought it was a bit of a damp squib, but... Steve, okay. explain. It's a little firework for me. Yeah, it, I mean, it remains at much the same pace as the rest of the album, but I think there's just a bit more going on. There's some proper sort of thrash licks in there. I like the spitting of the song title by Bush. Nice builds, a frantic finish, pace changes and some sort of real nuttiness. And I kind of wish there'd been more of that throughout the album. Yeah, I just think it's, I think it's a good finish. Yeah, it's a step up for me as well. Uh, I'm getting more Alice in Chains grunge in parts of it, but... It's got a lovely heavy groove to it. I do like the the heavy groove on this. So, yeah, it's all right. It's it's an all right finish. Yeah, well, it's it's certainly better. For me, it's better than Burst. Okay, right. Well, look, that is Sound of White Noise by Anthrax. 11 tracks, just under an hour. Highs and lows, Steve. Overall, as a standalone piece of work, how was it? And what was good and what was bad? Yeah, as a standalone piece of work, it was it was fine. It's not an album I'd rush back to listen to again and again. I honestly, wouldn't. And in fact, having played it as soon as I as soon as I had played it, I went and stuck on Among the Living. <laughs> just did <laughs> um, a one off, just to re- just to yeah, just a little you know reminder of the of the glory times. That's all. Um, room for one more high sodium pentothal low. Richard burst would be my low, and it's between Black Lodge and Invisible. Uh, for my high, oh, it depends what mood I'm in. Um, I'll give it to Black Rush. Okay. Uh, well, Burst would be uh, would be my low, and yeah, for me, it's between Black Lodge and Room for One More. So we're in the same ballpark. I'd probably, on balance, give it. What would I be more likely to listen to on an average day? Probably Room for One More. So there you go. That is um, that's Anthrax. Sound of White Noise, 1993. We've done all three albums now, and what we need to go now and do now is um, put some scores next to the doors so we'll do that and come back shortly reviews complete initializing rating process okay some really interesting views there some really interesting thoughts on the uh, on the three albums that make up episode 68 of the enter sad men podcast all white now um three albums where the operative word was white let's see if the scores are as interesting as the conversations i kicked it off with white sister and their debut album from 1984, which scored thus. Uh, well, me and Richard, we liked it the same. Indeed, exactly the same. 7.25 was our score. Mark loved it, said he did, um, and that was borne out by the score. He gave it 7.69 for an overall album score of uh, just a shade under 7.4. Richard, White Lions, Fight to Survive. Yeah, we're fairly consistent in our scoring, aren't we, this episode? So didn't fare as well as White Sister. And I think that reflects the conversation that we had. And the scores were as follows. Steve, you gave it a 6.65. Mark gave it a 6.62. And I gave it a 6.6. And that gave it an overall of 6.62333333, etc. Mark. What about Anthrax? Well, we are very, very close, aren't we, on all of the albums uh, in this episode. Uh, so Anthrax, Sound of White Noise, 
um, the album where they changed direction. Well, Steve is kind of the resident Anthrax fan and felt more betrayed than me or Richard. <laughs> so, so he scored it a 6.909. I liked it uh, a little bit more than that. I gave it a 7.109. And Richard liked it most of all, actually, uh, giving it a 7.18 for an overall average album score of 7.0667. So there you go. Those are the scores. Let's see where they end up in the big list. Let's head on over. It's time to put the rock in a hard place. Opening the Hall of Fame. Okay, so all of these in our Hall of Fame now. And, well, with their scores of sixes and sevens, they're not going to trouble, well, not even the the top hundred now. Uh, We've now got a grand total of 204 albums in here and um, it's about 20 or so places up that we fight from the bottom we find fight to survive by white lion there at 185 just above spiders rock and roll gypsies and uh, below britney fox's self-titled album we're up 30 places to 155 to find anthrax's sound of white noise uh, and they're sandwiched between q5 to in the mirror cracks and ted nugent's cat scratch fever and we nearly get to 100. Um, so what's that? Another 40 or so places further up at 115. We find White Sister. So they're the best album of this episode. They're at 115. They are just below, interestingly, the debut album by Mr. Jifra's Angel. So that's where they're at. Just to remind you of our top 10. Obviously, it's not changed that last week, last time to this time. Uh, 10, Diamond Headlighting to the Nations. 9 is Iron Maiden's Number of the Beast. Faith and Amor, The Real Thing at 8. YNT's Black Tiger at 7. Metallica's Black Album at 6. Van Halen's 1984 at 5. Deep Purple's Machine Head at 4. Led Zeppelin 4 is at 3. Metallica's Ride the Lightning at 2. And ACDC's Back in Black still sitting atop of the pile. So we need to let everyone know what we're doing next week, don't we? So we need to reveal the albums that we're choosing. Uh, The last time out, Tico Torres' Tombola of Topics and Themes spat out keyboardists or keyboard players. Um, (laughs) So we've all had to go and find uh, an album that each find an album that features a noteworthy ivory tinkler. Um, (laughs) I used up mine in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) I did say to you, Steve, didn't I, that... White sister could have qualified for next, next episode. <laughs> Quite handsomely. Quite yeah, handsomely. very handsomely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. However, you, you've you've had to go and find another one. So, what did you choose? Yeah, well, I could have scoured the eighties, couldn't I, and just and come up with any. But um, the, the 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 one I was going to go for was Kevin Moore at, um, with Dream Theater and Images and Words, an obvious one. We'll come to that later. But in terms of ivory tinkling, I love no one more than Colin Towns, um, and I'm going to do um, Gillen's Mister Universe. Excellent. Richard. All right, good. Well, as we've said frequently on this podcast, um, we're starting to feel quite comfortable in the 70s, aren't we? And I thought, well, we've we've done enough exploring uh, this week. Uh, So I've gone back to um, an album which I'm just going to really enjoy listening to. I think you two will too. I think it's the third appearance in our podcast episodes of of this band the keyboardist is mr ken hensley the the band is uriah heap and yes this time we're gonna do 
demons and wizards from 1972. <laughs> oh, I can't wait for that. I can't wait for that. I do like a bit of your eye heat. Okay. Um, so, you boys, uh, my choice for you, well, for all of us, but specifically for you, is a gentleman called Kerry Livgren. Uh, and he played keyboards on Kansas Left Overture. So that's what well, he played on more than Kansas's Left Overture. But that's the <laughs> album I've picked. Left Overture by Kansas, the home of Carry On Wayward Son. Um, no. So there you are. That's your delightful 1977, I think. So we're, we're, we're well and truly in the 70s. Mr. Universe, nineteen eighty, or was that seventy nine? No, no, no. We get in seventy nine, my friend. We're we're Excellent. we're firmly in the in the decade of that you, you love so much. Yeah, we're brilliant. Right Excellent. Well, uh, there you go. That's it. Uh, we will see you next time for a bit. Well, as if we haven't had enough synth tonight. Yeah. <laughs> We've got a whole episode full of it next time. So we'll see you then. Thanks for your company. All music clips featured in the Enter Sad Men podcast appear within the context of criticism and or commentary, and as such are used under the fair use provisions of the exceptions to copyright rules of UK and international copyright law. To make sure the rock rolls forever on, Mark, Steve, and Rich urge all their listeners to show their love and support for the artists and writers featured on the show by purchasing the original music or subscribing to a licensed and regulated streaming service. 